0: State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Trina Delandro, VP of Publishing and Media at MPP Global, about the history of online subscription products and how we got to this point. Let's begin. You said MPP Global. back when they started, was focusing on trying to solve that publishing problem themselves. Yeah, If we can go more into detail on that, how did they try to resolve it? Did they see it in terms of just a technology problem, or did they see it in terms of, yeah, how did they approach it initially?
1: Got it. Well, just in regards to the publishing clients and context that they had, starting out in the headquarters in the UK, it was what's taking place in the UK now is this transition from legacy legacy tools and services, these ERP systems, these large and sometimes outdated services and transitioning publishers in the UK into a space of, of having a SaaS platform where they don't have to take on these, you know, sizable capital expenditures to get these things up and running to get it set up and then then to have it working smoothly and then of course with the rapid changing pace of technology if they wanted any changes if someone from the marketing team was trying to test the new product deploy to figure out ways to adapt to the changing times and how people are accessing their content so it's definitely you know been a trend that they've been you know they're certainly not early adopters in any sense of the word but they always find a way to adapt
0: do you think that this is advantage that they take their time in, in trying to figure out what the best way through technology is to, to be able to cater to the audiences, like part the bigger publishers? Or do you think they're just losing revenue um, and they're just being... I know you mentioned a bit how they are slow to, slow to the curve, but do you see, see that as an advantage or disadvantage?
1: I certainly see that as an advantage simply because, you know, this is... A medium that has been around for centuries. So it's certainly, it would definitely not be prudent, you know, wise for them to just with, hey, here's a new social media platform that came out, let's just shift the direction. And let's all utilize this new platform and get rid of our print publication, I certainly think it is advantageous to them to take their time, see how these new technologies pan out, because in some instances they may rise and skyrocket to be Facebook, or in some instances they you know, they may not last. So I do think it's, it's definitely beneficial and advantageous to publishers to see how these new platforms are working and going, take their time to see how their audience is engaging with them and then making the change.
0: I agree as well. Otherwise, if you're being too rash and one mistake and you lose that audience. So, I mean, it's hard to get them back. The one thing that I noticed as well is with each of the subscription platforms, they have their own payment system and everything else. Is MPP Global looking at a way to integrate the payment systems together or, or do you have to take each of them as a separate silo and trying to just generate revenue from each subscription product that's on each different platform? What's your thoughts on that? Do you have to take a holistic approach or do you have to take a platform approach to subscriptions? Mm-hmm.
1: Are you saying, like, for instance, if I am on Facebook and I'm one of the approved publishers that can do that as, as well as I'm also publishing my content on Medium, et cetera? Is that kind of…
0: Yeah, yeah, you're publishing content on Medium, you're publishing content on Facebook in a subscription product, and then you've also got your website, which is a subscription product as well, with the content on your website… In terms, of, do each of those platforms have different payment systems or like do they inter- can you integrate the payment systems together or how would it work if someone wants to get access to every access to the publisher's content across different platforms
1: got it so i mean because these subscription tools and services are still relatively new. And again, like so Facebook's rollout of their subscription service is with a handful of publishers. So it's not so these subscription models across these multiple platforms are not yet, you know, widespread. They're certainly being tested in on a small scale with, you know, sizable publishers. So in regards to like the integration of the payment systems, et cetera, we're not there yet. You know, OTT has kind of led the space in terms of being able to access. You know, this network shows on you know one one subscription service like Hulu, and then you can do it on Amazon Prime, etc. The publishing space isn't there yet. It's now like 2017 has been the year where Facebook and Google News, etc., have now launched these subscription services, so that publishers can try to venture into this space, but. I do believe, similar to how you know it rolled out for the OTT space, that there will be disparate payment systems, and that's how we're going to have to start in terms of you know you're going to have revenue coming in from this platform, another platform, and you're going to have to work with it as is. But then I do see an opportunity again for someone to create a holistic approach to say, okay, I know that there you know I've revenue coming in from these multiple platforms, from these multiple services, and let's try to aggregate that.
0: No, look, I hope that is as well because it will make it easier, in my opinion, for publishers to work with each platform as well.
1: Definitely, from a you know payment standpoint, from a reporting standpoint, from a optimization standpoint, certainly. But we're definitely not there yet in terms of you know right now the publishers are deciding on a pay content strategy, and they're doing so for their internal products. So they're saying, you know, for my print, my digital, for my emag, then for internally, I'm going to, you know, roll this out. And then I have one sole, you know, payment system and subscription management solution. But again, as you know, Facebook allows any and everyone to be part of their subscription model system, then that's certainly going to change things. And then of course, as more follows suit, it's certainly, you know, you're going to have what, anywhere from three to five to more avenues of income coming in and then there's definitely an opportunity for you know aggregating that
0: how does the the integration like you mentioned the hulu and amazon prime example with the ott space how you mentioned amazon prime and hulu have been able to combine the unified payment system how do you think mpp global will be able to do something similar for publishers with the website and other platforms combining them together the payment system for the subscription product.
1: Well, in regards to like how it's handled now, I think is an opportunity. I mean, in regards to like the OTT example, like there's still separate payment systems taking place because Hulu's monthly charge is separate from Amazon's monthly charge, separate from you know Slingbox, etc. So all of them currently in the OTT space have. Their subscription fees are separate and their management systems, I, I believe, are definitely separate. But in regards to the opportunity to aggregate this, I think for you know MPP Global, there is an opportunity to provide multiple different service providers and multiple different publishers the opportunity to combine their subscription management and the recurring revenue management in one place with us. so that I think is an opportunity, but it would be working with multiple different providers in order to do that that makes sense It just in terms of you know where we are and in, in the space where everyone is still working separately in terms of how they're taking payments and then the services that they're offering. So we're not there yet in terms of, you know, having a central solution to manage that because it would require working with multiple different providers.
0: I understand. I guess it's still a bit of a tricky area to sort of determine what the best way is to to work together um, on that solution. Yeah. Uh, let's look back at you know, past success and look at, look at today, you mentioned, you know, previously uh, before we started our talk now that, you know, you've, they had some pretty good, good wins with Irish Times and Le Quip. Are you able to elaborate more on on what you guys did there for both of the
1: Certainly. So in regards to these two publications, what, E-Suite, um, which is our you know, toolbox, as I like to call it, or our, our subscription revenue management platform, what we provided to the Irish Times and the Keep were the opportunity to, one, implement a paid content strategy. So these publishers came to us, they knew that this was something that they wanted to roll out, and so whether they were starting from zero, meaning that they had a previous subscriber base, whether across digital products or digital and print, or So whether they started with with subscriber numbers or they were starting completely from scratch, our eSuite allowed them to roll out and test new products. It allowed them, of course, to have an incredibly seamless and simple um, subscription management service. And then also for subscribers that they did acquire, it allowed them to retain these customers with our churn management solution. So... For in both instances, we were able to work with each particular client, see what their needs were, whether it was, you know, rolling out a completely new paid content strategy or if it was tweaking their current paid current content strategy and how they can improve and increase it. And or if there was an issue of they were losing customers in the funnel through, you know, whether to not being able to update card information, not being able to access payments, whatever their particular issue was, eSuite had a tool or a module in order to solve it. So that's you know, just some of our past wins there. And it's something that we're continuing to do for clients. We, you know, with each individual client, we sit down, we have a conversation, we get very clear on understanding what their issues are, what their needs are. And then we work with them in terms of showing you this is eSuite, this is how it can be utilized, and this is how it can solve the issues that you're having.
0: I believe you, it was mentioned in MPP Global's previous news that I think it was for the Irish Times that you they were able to reduce their credit card failure rate down to a few percent just because the system there what are some of the common errors and stuff that happen with credit cards and how can people manage their retention with people's payments details
1: certainly so we have um, a module within eSuite so one of the tools in our toolkit called retention and recovery and so We, you know, after being in the business for so many years, we have an algorithm in place that allows us to identify different types of churn. So what most publishers have an issue with in regards to churn is what we call involuntary churn. So that's things such as credit card information is not accurate. So whether someone reported their card lost or stolen, they got a new one, and we don't have their updated payment information, whether the card has expired and we don't have that frequent information... Or simple things such as when we tried to take the payment, because when it was at a time that was high flagged for fraud, all these different things that come into play when it comes to processing payments, our retention and recovery module solves for. So we have what we call automatic card updater. And so that allows us to retrieve from the credit card, you know, schemes, Mastercard and Visa themselves, updated card information on clients, and so that's one way that we're able to reduce churn for clients by saying, "Listen, we're not going to have any sort of payment breakage with you know something as simple as updated card information because we do this automatically for you." We also utilize a tool such as suppression windows, so that means we don't try for to take a payment at times that you know credit cards companies are you know being more stringent or paying closer attention because those are usually high window times for fraud so we wouldn't necessarily try for a payment at 3 a.m. on a Sunday, when it's not usually a time that transactions are being made. So those are things that we put into place as well, these different types of suppression windows. And then another thing that we have is something called retry rules. So we can set this up, and we can try to get a payment from a card you know, up to eight times. And so those are the retry rules that we have until we receive a successful payment. So you know, those are some of just the tools that we have in place to say, you know, these are simple things that are causing payment breakage but the payment breakage is translating into so much dollars for our clients and with these tools in place we're able to reduce churn and in the instance of irish times itself reducing churn significantly for clients taking it from you know double digits down into single digits
0: i just want to clarify as well with the mastercard and visa details would you go and fetch someone's name from there without obviously going uh, breaking the confidentiality and just making sure that their details are current, valid and if it's not valid then Ask Mastercard and Visa to then update, give you the updated details. Is that how that component works?
1: Yes and no. So in terms of when someone is making a payment, it's not we're so we're not going and fetching this information without any sort of previous authorization or approval from a client. So once that initial payment has been made, and then when it comes time to renew said subscription, so whether it's on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, whatever the case may be, we. After uh, you know already having authorization from the user, if you know, let's say this user has been a client of yours for or a subscriber of yours for a year and a half, and uh, most cards are expire within two years, so this client has been a subscriber for a year and a half, and we're noticing that their expiration date is coming up soon. What we have the ability to do, because we are 111 PCI DSS compliant payment processor and payment gateway, we have a relationship with you know Mastercard and Visa. To as you know, this payment gateway to say, hey, we see that this card is about to expire, you know, usually credit card companies are sending you your new card way before the old one expires so that you as a consumer don't have any lag in the ability to use your card. And so when a new card number has been issued, we're able to get it automatically from the credit card providers so that's something that we have the ability to do as a payment gateway so it's it's certainly not something we're not going behind anyone's back and saying hey give us this new information unbeknownst to you this is something that's already been authorized
0: yeah, that's that's good to really clarify i appreciate that i guess with you know we spoke about the technology side about retention but you know there's also the marketing side or just put the yeah, uh, you know the, i guess the business side where you've got people who you know subscribe and say, who forget about the subscriptions, for example, and then they say, oh, I forgot, I had the subscription, I want to cancel now. Is there any retention strategies or common things that you've seen, you know, MPP Global's publishing clients have done or that you know of which can help our audience in terms of retention?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, and other than, you know, the credit card specific you know details what we have the ability to do if we see clients are looking to voluntarily churn is what we call win back campaigns so we have again within our retention and recovery model the ability for clients to create these customer journeys to win them back if they have expressed that they are, you know, I'm no longer interested, I would like to unsubscribe. And so we can create a journey just to find out why. Why are you looking to cancel your subscription? Is it because the cost is too high? Is it that the content is not pertinent to you? You're not Whatever the case may be beyond a just you know cancel and I'm no longer interested, we can create these flows to find out exactly why and then offer the client, again, another opportunity to resolve whatever issue it is they had. So let's say a client is looking to cancel and they said, we asked why and they said, you know, it's too costly for me. Within, you know, automatically we can, you know, personalize this customer's journey to say, all right. It was $10.99 a month for you. You said it's too high. How about, you know, you try us again for another three months at a lower price point? And so these are things that we have in place that, again, you can easily um, test and deploy to keep folks within your, your pipeline and within your funnel. So those are just some ideas that we have. And then, you know, of course pre-built tools in place that our publishers use quite frequently actually to not to better understand the consumers why are they looking to cancel and then of course let's try to win them back with something that's pertinent to them so again because we have the tools to track users identify their behavior what do they like best we can say hey you know we know you originally signed up for you know business, but then we've noticed that you're accessing a lot of entertainment content. Would you like X? Would you like Z? And so we can personalize and customize these offers to users to retain them and keep them in, in the funnel.
0: How do you find though that even though you provide, like for example, publishers might provide low prices for a few months, how do you find that, that being effective? Because if the, the major reason was the fact that the price was too high or they can't afford that subscription anymore. How do you think that, that fact that you've done that works? It helps um, the pub- um, audience members uh, or readers to stay on.
1: So in some instances, it is, again, tracking the user behavior and then you know offering them what we feel will work best or giving them choices so that they can then choose what works best for them. So for some folks that have, you know, come in on a monthly subscription and they've realized, you know, if they've given a reason, you know, I'm not accessing or using the content as frequently as I thought, we have the data that each client can then use to say, okay, if you're, we've seen that, you know, you signed up for a monthly subscription for an all access pass, but that's not how you've been consuming the content. And that's a reason why you're not trying to pay this price point for full access, then there's the opportunity to give them bite-sized chunks. Hey, are you interested in just accessing content on a daily basis? Let's say you're reading the news when you're traveling for work, and so I want a commuter pass. Then that's something else that we can offer them. So it isn't necessarily saying, hey, I can no longer afford it. It's figuring out then... A monthly subscription wasn't working for you at x price point but would a commuter pass work for you would you know i just want to access this article because that's all the information i'm interested in it's having the data and then making that data actionable and saying okay this is what we tried you this wasn't working for you or your behavior changed and then here's something else that might better suit your behavior and better suit your needs
0: so it's an interesting point that you bring up so does that mean that publishers should have multiple options in their paid content strategy or Should they try to just try to make one work and then see how it goes?
1: Definitely the latter. There is, um, again, we're in the age of personalization and customization, and that is certainly uh, prevalent in the publishing space. So, again, to... To best serve your customers and best give them what they need, it definitely behooves a publisher to have multiple different content strategies. Now, I'm certainly not saying that you should try all of them and see what works, but definitely you know, publishers in their internal teams, they have their objectives and the goals that they're trying to hit, and then they can try and test one multiple offers to see what works best. Because at the end of the day, what publishers are trying to do is best serve their audience and their customers. And so we're giving you the opportunity and the flexibility to choose and have multiple different products so you can certainly try and test what works and see you know whatever fits
0: what are the average number of products that your clients have mpp global clients have
1: i can't you know make this like general benchmark but in many instances you know we've seen either two or three that are taking place at the same time so like if a user cherry picks there's an opportunity do you want a monthly subscription for all access do you want i mean like a day pass so it's either two or three that is, is usually seen across different publishers
0: yeah. no, i understand it. definitely this is generalization it's not specific so yeah. I to as well is there anything else like creative strategies and retention strategies like marketing plays that you've seen as well or are the ones that you mentioned previously they just the main ones that has worked
1: one's discussed before kind of the strategies that have worked that i've seen in the past certainly excited for new things that come along and and that you know marketing teams and creatives come up with and whatever they do come up with it's something that our e-suite tool can handle so certainly excited to see what comes in the future
0: what would you like to see come to the future then if yeah that other creatives and publishers in-house should be looking into them
1: nothing comes to mind at this exact point
0: <laughs> that's, that's that's fair enough Okay, let's look ahead now just in terms of the future of online subscriptions and MPP Global as well. So if we could just start off with MPP Global, what's the future plans of MPP Global? And, you know, personally for yourself, for your professional development, what's your future plans?
1: Got it. So this... Year MPP Global actually raised their first round of funding. Now, mind you, the company's been around for seventeen years, so it was an incredibly exciting time for MPP in regards to you know getting this funding and using that of course to grow and scale the company so i mean we the headquarters is in the uk as i mentioned the noram team which i have just started on in may has certainly expanded mm-hmm. while we're here we also have offices in japan as well as dubai and so in terms of the future of mpp it is certainly seeing the company scale and grow so that we're able to service our different verticals across the globe because and just expanding the teams that that we do have in the current outposts in Noram, you know, Europe, Middle East, as well as Asia. And then again, we are a technology company. And so it is, of course, a massive influx into our product and the innovation. Because again, as we work with our different clients, there's always, you know, every client is unique and every client has unique needs. And so when it comes to what clients need, how we can not just solve their direct problem, but improve and iterate the product so that it's, you know, if this has been an issue for one of our publishing clients or one of our OTT clients, how can we roll this into the product as a whole so that we can service all with this update or this innovation? So that's certainly something that I'm excited to see for the future of, of MPP as we are ending out the calendar year, but it, it's still a fiscal year for us. And so Having the team grow, having, you know, new counterparts that come on board at all times and seeing, of course, the product continue to stay at the forefront and providing all the tools that our clients are requesting. Those those are the the things I'm excited about in terms of the future of MPP.
0: Any major, any product sneak peeks you can provide us that you guys MPP is working on?
1: Nothing I can reveal at this time.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. I have to ask, sir.
1: So. Indeed. <laughs>
0: How about in terms of your professional development and and Yeah, how do you see a professional development progress, and what would you give advice? What advice would you give to others who want to be in the technology space in publishing?
1: So, in terms of my professional growth and development, I mean, it is always excited to work at a technology company, especially one like MPP, because we are, as I like to call myself, a technology consultant. Because what is First and foremost is how can we solve a problem that you're having? And then once we can solve your problem, how do we do that with technology? So for me, well, understanding and working in the publishing space has been exciting because even though, you know, publishers have uh, and publishing entities, I should better say, may have been, you know, slow to adopt certain the new technologies, they certainly are the longest lasting and the most pervasive. So it's always exciting when new platforms come about, when current platforms are in this age of, you know, Facebook subscriptions and Google News, et cetera, are embracing and providing opportunities for publishers, you know, to get their news out there. Again, it's a great space to be in in regards to using technology to solve a problem for people that have been around for years decades, centuries. So for me, it is just continuing to work with publishers, whether slow to adopt or ones that are, you know, willing and able from an organizational standpoint to jump into new spaces sooner. But at the end of the day, it is the ability to solve problems for folks that are providing us with tantamount pieces of information, as i.e. our news, and working to solve any issues they have. Like that's that's what got me into the publishing space first and foremost. It's, it's content is king. We all need information. And these, you know, the publishers are the ones that do that for us. And then how to, you know, I'm getting to solve issues that they have with technology. So that's how I'm in the space. It's why I'm in the space and advice for anybody that's in this space. It's just a matter of being on the technology side of things. It is an exciting and interesting place to be when it comes to working in the publishing industry.
0: Awesome. And what do you see... Looking ahead, what do you see the future of the online subscription space being for publishers and how the, how do publishers play a role and how would publishers be impacted moving forward?
1: So in the online subscription space in particular, I definitely see it expanding and growing. I mean, 2017 was a great year in regards to people understanding that you know subscription revenue for content is certainly a viable avenue. I mean, I mean the New York Times as, was one of the biggest publishers that did it first from a pervasive scale with a company that size and people saw that it worked and they've been doing it for quite some time to have you know Facebook come on board, to have other platforms come on board in terms of understanding that paying for content is a viable revenue stream was great in the space. And so I'm excited for 2018 and years to come in regards to this being... A model that can, you know, be close to or even get on par with advertising revenues as, as important as that has been for the publishing industry. So that's what I'm excited about. And that's where I see things going.
0: Awesome. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate the talk that we had. Thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All the best. Have a good one. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.